Welcome to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast, where we discuss the technical and people side of safety. Safety should be your primary leadership tool for discovering more about your people and culture. Your host is Dr. Mark French, also known as the Safety Dude. Mark is a credentialed, experienced, and passionate professional with experience in automotive, food, chemical, nuclear, e-commerce, and energy sectors. He is going to share information and anecdotes from years of experience in the people side of safety based on industrial and organizational psychological theories. Safety is so much more than a technical skill. It is a motivational need that defines the culture of your organization. Employee safety is a meaningful business practice that makes a direct impact on everyone through direct behavioral engagement. That is why your organization should be using safety as a key method to learn about your culture and lead your teams. Thanks for joining this episode as we talk through current issues in people management and how they impact our everyday workplace. And welcome to this episode of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Hello, I am your host, Dr. Mark French, and I am always happy to have you as part of the family here as we talk about safety. And we talk about how it becomes that leadership tool that we need, that leadership tool that is missing. That That's the real thing that if we don't care about someone's safety, how do how does anything else really matter? Safety has to be that first step that we take together to create that engagement. So I'm revisiting a topic that I talked about. I don't know. It's, it's been a few weeks, but I want to revisit it because I heard another very interesting news story that brought it back to me. And this is about safety. It's about people. It's about ethics. It's really the whole thing. And it's disappointing. And it's bigger than I thought it was. So I first read about this in the Confined Space blog from Jordan Barab. Also then followed up with New York Times article. And then on NPR, there's a uh, show called 1A. And I heard, I was driving to an airport. I heard that this topic was going to be brought up and I missed it because I was getting on an airplane. And so I went back and fortunately I have a podcast and I'll put a link to that podcast episode in, uh, on Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever you follow me, there should be a link somewhere there, but they brought up again about child labor in the United States. And I had no idea. I knew it was happening and I figured it was bigger than what we knew, but this is actually a lot, a lot bigger than I really expect it, and it fundamentally bothers me as a safety professional, as an HR professional, I think first of all as a safety professional, that has worked so hard in my career to do due diligence and to do the right thing and to be on what I would say the ethical side of what we do, because it's hard. There are so many pressures to, to kind of jump into the gray area or kind of fade into the gray of ethics. And I actually posted something about that on my last blog. It was actually surprisingly about ethics and got some good responses there on my, my LinkedIn page about just how above the table do you want to be? There's above the table, which is ethical, but then there's, there's layers. Once you get below the table, there's layers of ethics. And to me, what we're talking about here is like bottom barrel. You're at the bottom. You have truly negligent in what you're doing to have this type of items happening. We're talking about 12 and 13 year olds working in meat packing plants, factories, construction sites, doing cleanup for food industries. 
No, that's all. Ex- I mean, caustic burns. They said that they gave an example of a 12 or 13 year old that had a 50 foot fall from a construction site. And because these are differently categorized or maybe not, I mean, I'm sure if that's the ethics that we have, we're not reporting them. And so what happens is, especially this is happening in immigrant populations, they come in through health and human services to be released to family members or a guardian in the United States. And then sometimes, and it's happening more prevalent than they're admitting, it appears, that they're putting people out there and the children end up in a home that says, okay, what you're going to do now is you're going to work 12-hour shifts at night or 14-hour shifts at night in this factory, either construction, you could be doing an assembly line work, you could be doing cleanup at a factory, like caustic, not just sweeping the floor, but caustic chemicals, using those to clean. This is absurd. This is not what we should be doing. And they started analyzing, they had a person from Health and Human Services, they had some people on there, and I really hope you'll take it. It's a 40-minute podcast. It is so worth your listen. So I hope you'll listen to it, not just take my word for it. I'm going to give you my opinions of it here during this episode. Of course, you're going to hear my opinions. That's what I do. <laughs> so we have this really unsafe, so they're, they're being handed over to this guardian that is then saying, you got to work. Uh, you're going to have to go to work because we don't have the resources or maybe just exploiting. But it begins more there. That wouldn't happen if there wasn't an opportunity. O- the only time that crime works is if there's an opportunity to make money from the crime, right? There has to be money involved. And that's what, a, to me, is like the the core thing in most things about some of this, about that aspect of crime is that there's always that fundamental aspect of there's opportunity and, and there's usually money involved of some form in these types. And so we have large companies and they were talking about supply chain people to super large companies. Some of these children were actually employed by some very large companies. They didn't care. There was, I don't even know how that happens. I'll be perfectly honest. If you're doing anything even close to right in a Department of Labor standards where you're verifying, you're integrating, you're training, how does this even happen? And that's what I really want to get into here eventually. But you look at that and you think, okay, well, there was a decision made because there's no way that this there's willful ignorance. There's malicious ignorance here. There isn't willful. It, it, it gets to more negligent in this case that they knew that they offered terrible pay, terrible benefits. So no like-minded or right-minded adult would want to work there. Their working conditions are so terrible, so horrible that no um, normal adult in the U.S. would take that job. So what did they, instead of reducing their profit without hurting the company, I mean, so without doing other things that should be done the right way to offer better benefits, better pay, they decided to exploit children of families that they know they can take advantage of. That's nasty frustrating 
And I wish there was more I could do other than educate and really shout out and be one of those advocates that says, no, we will not. And I know I'm, I'm probably pe- preaching to the choir, but I think if we all are talking about it, if we're all looking at it and we're all saying things about it, we can make change. There, there is always opportunity for change once we know that change needs to happen. And this is one of those that fundamentally hurts me because they're taking advantage of socioeconomic statuses, immigrant statuses. They're targeting a very specific demographic to exploit children for profit. They're allowing them to get caustic burns. They're allowing them to die on the job. They're allowing them to work in such dangerous, and and there's no way of them recovering because then they can't go to school or they can't learn very well because they're exhausted from working 12 hours that wears out an adult. Adults come home worn out from this work. So you know that a child can't then go to school and be functional and learn and, and then find a way out of what the situation, we've completely blocked it by allowing this to happen. And this is horrible. So what do we do about it? How do we talk more about this? And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that that podcast and that news episode here coming up in the second half of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. DSDA Consulting. Learn you. Lead others. The Myers-Briggs Type Indicator is an amazing tool. Problem is that it can be easily misinterpreted. Dr. Mark French is MBTI certified and ready to help you discover your inner strengths. The MBTI assessment can help with team building, stress management, communication, conflict management, and so much more. Individual and group sessions are available to help you discover what makes you great. For more information, visit us on the web at tsdaconsulting.com. Welcome back to the second half of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. So I'm talking this week about a news story from NPR that I listened to as a podcast from 1A. And it talked more about the child labor epidemic that we're having in the United States of exploiting children. And and so it starts with health and human services. They receive children and they try to place them in, in safe places. And they repeated that so many times, but they never admitted they did anything wrong. And nor are they doing anything to investigate further. For me, what I would see here is that now that we know this is happening, let's do a full-scale investigation. Let's do full-scale crackdowns of what is happening here. And let's learn about the risk factors. And let's use those in aggregate to create a prediction system of that when we're placing someone taking a child through health and human services and we're placing them with a family member or placing them with a guardian, that we have a rating system from this aggregate data that says, okay, these are the these are the key factors that would create risk for this child to have to be in that labor workforce. I think step one is there, that we start there looking at what is the risk factor. But the Department of Labor was fired up on the call, that they are going to investigate, they're going to prosecute, this is not going to happen. And there was some talk of some other states that are looking at lowering where teenagers could do more dangerous work. Now, I agree. There is work out there that teenagers and pre-adults, there's work that it teaches you responsibility. A few hours of week of work teaches good responsibility. 
but it can't be. There's certain labor practices they can't do, heavy operating equipment, super dangerous equipment, construction work. That's dangerous. There are adults every year, lots of adults, that lose limbs, lost time injuries, and death from work like that. If we can't keep adults safe, there's no way we're keeping a child safe out there. And, and above all that, that shows that the companies that are hiring these kids don't care at all. They have no care. They're not doing any due diligence from an HR standpoint. They are absolutely, if I was ever to do, and, and here's the catch 22, I know for a fact these, these places are not doing safety training. They probably don't even know, probably can't even spell OSHA. They don't care. Because if they cared, they wouldn't be doing this. And as a safety professional, if I was ever working at a place and I start to do a safety orientation, I look around the room and I see someone that's like my child's age because I have a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old. If I look and I'm like, are you in, do you, what school do you go to? I'm done. Like, no, no. There are phone calls going to happen. There are things that are going to change right there. And I know if you're listening, you're the same way. You would do everything at that point. There would be every phone call you could make right there and be made. And it hurts me that there are adults, supervisors, owners of companies, HR people, I doubt safety people, maybe accountants. I don't know. Maybe somebody somebody had to have seen that there were children coming into this factory geared up to work, doing things that were hurting adults, and nothing was done. I think also fundamentally there was a breakdown where when they're released out of health and human services, they're given a hotline. And to say if there's anything wrong, you can call this hotline and health and human services will help. Well, what they admitted on this call, they didn't really admit it, but they danced around it. But I kind of caught through this one, and maybe you will too. I'd love your opinion on it. Is that they had kids call, and those kids got no remedy. And the answer was, well, we, we probably gave them the phone number to the Department of Labor because we don't handle that. Once we release them, we we pretty sure we're giving them to a safe place. And, but that's DOL or that's OSHA. So what we do is we give them that phone number when they call. How hard is that? You've built up enough strength to finally beg for help. And they're like, oh, well, you know, that's a whole different government department. Hope you enjoy red tape. Here's another phone number. Call that. Good luck. Best wishes. And hope that child labor thing works out for you. Whoa. That one blew my mind. Blew my mind. That these vulnerable population finally could reach out and got no help. And there was no explanation of why that was the policy or, and really there was no discussion of even changing that policy. Uh, and there was a lot of good discussion there from the journalist who broke the story of the people she met. And when I'm sitting there listening to that and it, it would hurt me because I thought, would I ever allow my kids to be there. No, you know, I'd do whatever it took, but these companies knew that too. They knew they needed to exploit low socioeconomic children of low socioeconomic families. They were looking especially for immigrants that were coming through HHS. They, I mean, it was like they had done a scientific study to find the perfect population to exploit so they could make more money 
and not have to increase their benefits, increase their pay, improve their workplace to something that is halfway acceptable. Instead, instead of doing those things, they're like, you know what's cheaper? Let's exploit some children. That's expendable. This is, these are things that I think of in the 19th and very, very early 20th century. I mean, Upton Sinclair in the jungle. We're talking this kind of thing, and we're seeing it again right now inside the country. And as we learn about it, we can talk about it. We can make it more prevalent. We can bring it up. We can make sure that we're talking about it. We can look for it. And if we see it, we can call it out. And I especially am looking at the companies that have done this and have, I'm, I'm trying to get more information on what companies actually use this child labor and tell you what, I'm probably not buying their stuff anymore because, ooh, that just hurts. And so I think there are things that we can do through education and through talking about it and through not letting this die off and being aware and vigilant. So thank you. I, I'm something that was just weighing and the more I heard about it, the more it bothered me and the more it bothered me, the more I needed to talk about it. So almost like a little mini therapy session for me. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm, I'm really happy that you joined me for this episode of the leading and learning through safety podcast. Hey, did you know that you can come see me live? I am going to be at the Kentucky safety conference in May, in Louisville, Kentucky, I'm going to have a booth there uh, talking about my company. I'm actually going to record some podcast episodes there. You want to be part of the podcast? Come on. I would love to have you as part of that. It'd be so much fun. So you can see me there live. I think we're going to have a blast. I can't wait. Super excited for it. And so until next time we chat or maybe see you in Louisville, stay safe. listening to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Join the online conversation at www.markafrench.com. All opinions expressed on the podcast are solely attributed to the individual and not affiliated with any business entity. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes. It is not a substitute for proper policy, appropriate training, or legal advice. been the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast.